something that I find compelling that you've written about, you, you have talked about the importance of storytelling and telling your school's story. From your lens, why is storytelling so crucial in education? Well, because we learn through story and we've always learned through story. And it's, it's happened since, you know, well, since people have been telling stories. That's just what it is. Like, think about it. You go to a, a reunion or you go to a place that you, you see people you haven't seen in a long time. Everybody's sitting around the storyteller. Everybody wants to hear the story. And sometimes they've heard that story 5, 10, 15, 20 times. doesn't matter. But the way that it's told puts a person in a situation where they have a recollection of something cool that happened. So if you can tell stories that impact the next interaction that you have with a person, that's going to make the next interaction better. So Joe, this is a first. Uh, intentionally, I got so excited that I wanted to have two episodes with you. And so I'm taking you over. Once I realized that you were out in the wilderness and had nowhere to go, I figured you were stuck with me, so I might as well ask. Um, but I had a really awesome time talking to you last about uh, your latest book, uh, Lead From Where You Are. And this conversation, I just want to dive into a couple of your your old books that you've written, as well as just some general leadership questions that I'm just curious to have your take on. I hope that's okay with you. Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fire away. All right, let's do it. So you know, you're known, we talked about this in the last episode a little bit, you hit it on it, uh, but you're known for your work in promoting a concept of hacking leadership. Just for those folks who don't understand what that is, what does that mean to you and how can educators apply that to their roles? Well, again, we started, Tony and I wrote Hacking Leadership because we were kind of sick of reading philosophical books that didn't really do anything. They just told you why everything is what it is. So we're like, all right, so if that's the case, you know, can we just do something that helps them? And we connected with Mark Barnes and he had a whole hacking series, education, uh, uh, you know, assessment. Uh, and then this was hacking leadership. And so we talked about what can we do to make sure that uh, we give practical strategies to people that want to get better at leading schools in particular. Right. So that book is really about hacking yep. leadership in schools. That's I mean, that's all. I mean, it's all about schools. And the last book is more about leadership in general. The hacking leadership is about schools. It's hacking leadership in schools. So what we did was we asked uh, about 100, over 100, there was over 100 people. We surveyed 100 uh, principals across the country. What's the, what's the toughest part of your job? And then we took a look at those results and, um, and, and, and kind of narrowed them down to eight things that everybody seemed to have in some capacity. So we took those eight and then we added those and came up with not only uh, an idea to hack them or fix them, but also a resource that you could reach out to to see how it was being done somewhere else. So we have you know eight people featured in the book. And if you were to reach out to any of them right now, they'd answer your call because that was part of the Plan. That was part of the process. If you want to be in the book and somebody calls you, you're going to answer the question. And they were all awesome with it. How, so when people check the book out after reading this, uh, can they still get in touch with those folks? And uh, what's your encouragement for folks who are thinking, God, that person doesn't want to hear from me. There's no chance they want to hear from me. How do you help them get over that? I just tell, tell them to reach out. Like, you got to give yourself a shot. Like, you know, I mean, seriously, like, what are they going to say? No then what? But you're in the same spot you were when they, you know, when you didn't ask them. 
So just ask them. That's great. So something that I find compelling that you've written about, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have a, a second conversation with you is you, you have talked about the importance of storytelling and telling your school's story. And we'll dive into branding in just a minute. But from your lens, why is story, storytelling so crucial in education? And then I want to dive into some strategies for effectively sharing your narrative. Well, because we learn through story and we've always learned through story. And it's it's happened since, you know, well, since people have been telling stories. That's just what it is. Like you go and find, think about it. You go to a, a reunion or you go to a place that you, you see people you haven't seen in a long time. Everybody's sitting around the storyteller. Everybody wants to hear the story. And sometimes they've heard that story 5, 10, 15, 20 times. doesn't matter. But the way that it's told puts a person in a situation where they have a recollection of something cool that happened. So when we talk about being the storyteller of and people, you know, I think it actually got watered down. Dust, I'm going to be honest. We, we wrote that book like literally 10 years ago on telling your school story. And now it's just used as like, you have to do it. Well, yeah, but that's just like telling me that I need to exercise. Like, I know I have to, but I'm not going to do it unless you give me something to do it. Like, give me some reason to do it. And a lot of times people wait until it's too late. Like, and I'm the same way with exercise until something happens to me. I mean, I'm not doing it. So I'm going to wait till that. And then I'll start after that. Cause that's just the way that I operate. Same thing happens with schools. They wait until it's too late to tell the story. And then the story is not nearly as impactful. So what do you do to tell a story on a regular basis? Not only that a story that is going to connect and tells people what's going on, but it's also a leverage point. These stories are all leverage points for future interactions. So if you can tell stories that impact the next interaction that you have with a person, that because that's going to make the next interaction better. And it just keeps building from there. So yeah, it's, it's important to tell the story because somebody else is, people are talking. No matter what, if you don't want to talk about your school, somebody else is. <laughs> well, I think about it from a lens of a principal who, you know, let's, let's take some of your other leadership advice. So they're, they're working really hard to build great leaders. They're building strong relationships. They're focusing on improving academics in their school. And they're like, I I'm just doing the job. What do you mean I have to tell a story? How do you help them, one, get over that mindset, but two, start figuring out how to build a story in the midst of doing the other parts that are, are the job? Well, two things. The first is that people are telling not only a story about your district, they're telling the story about you too. And the concept that we keep in <laughs> mind is like when people don't know what you do, they make up what you do. That's not just a school thing. That's a leadership thing. And then when you leave, when you leave the room, right? Because here's what happens. If you don't talk about what you're doing now, should you, should you have to? Probably not. But this is the situation that we're in. We live in a world where people judge. I, I don't love it, but we do. And guess what? That's not changing tomorrow. So if they're going to judge me based on what's happening in Fall Creek, Wisconsin, I want them to judge me based on what's happening in Fall Creek, Wisconsin. Now what happened in Fall Creek, Wisconsin, eight principles ago, right? So yeah. that's the first thing. It's knowing and understanding that when people don't know what you do, they make up what you. And that's not something that's just an outside thing. Because if people, it's the same thing when you, when they don't know what you do inside the building, you become less of a leader and more of a number. Because if they don't know what mm. you do and they're upset about stuff, then all of a sudden you become a number. You walk out of the room 
And then everybody in the room starts doing this one. Well, you know, for all that money, for all the money we pay that person, I don't know what we get for that yeah. money. For all that money, yeah. we get more teachers. For all that money, we get more stuff. For all that money, we can go on more, for, more field trips. For all that money, for all that money, for all that money. Like, if that's the case, then what are we really doing here? It's Somebody's talking about the work that you do. That's just what it is. So I want, if I don't have any more time than anybody else, I just trade it, right? Like, I just trade it on the front end, so I don't have to answer the question on the back end. And if you want to develop some momentum, they need to know what you're doing to know that you're part of what they're doing. So in building this, right, so treat me like I'm one of your early kindergarten students. Uh, in, in my school or in my district, what are those things I'm doing on a daily basis to create the story? And then secondly, to share that story. The first thing that you need to understand is you don't have to create more stories in schools. They're already there. It's are you willing to look at them or do you walk past them to get to the next thing on your list? Right. Because if you can't walk into a second grade classroom and see something that makes you smile, then you shouldn't do the work. Like you should just get out because it's not going to get any better than that. It's just not like all the other stuff is going to be there. But if you can't smile in a second grade classroom or a kindergarten classroom, get out. I'm serious. Just get out because you're never going to find joy. You're just not. So how do you put yourself in a situation where you can see those things? And when you tell the story about those things, now not only does the person that's doing those things feel better, you feel better about the work that's going on around you. And that brings you back the next day feeling better about the all the tough stuff that you have to do. I can't take the tough stuff off of people's plates. And I, I never pretend to. But I tell them that maybe I can help you look at that plate a little bit differently. So it looks a little more appetizing, not just a bunch of stuff that you jumped and threw at the buffet, right? Like, how can we make it look like you want to be there at that table? And that's really about seeing, first of all, seeing the great things and then just do it. Then just literally tell one story a day. I mean, honestly, let's think about logistically what that looks like. If you, before you leave your school every day, if you extend one story about what happened during that day, the person that you extend the story to is going to feel good. The person that actually did the story is going to feel good and you're going to feel good. And you come back and do that the next day. Let's say you do it every day. That's 180 stories. I mean, come on. Let's say you do it once a week. That's 50 stories, man. Like, I mean, 50 of them, even if you do it once a week, that's 50 stories. And if you connect to the emotion of the listener, there's a better chance for the story to be told. So what are you doing to connect the emotion of the listener to give yourself the best chance for the next interaction? Because I don't have any more more time than, than anybody. And I would probably venture to say that I got less if I'm out speaking and stuff. I'm having more now because I don't have a job. But you know, up until this year, like I didn't have any more time than anybody else did. Well, that's a que- another question I have for you. So one, thank you for even working on my own paradigm about uh, sharing stories and the, the powerful impact of extending those stories. Uh, you know, as a former superintendent, you've had experience leading school districts. So like, what are some of the most significant challenges that you faced in that role uh, and how did you address them? That's a really hard question. I think the hardest thing about being a superintendent is that you want to make sure that you treat everyone 
fair, which is not always equal. And even in that situation where you're trying to be as fair as possible, not everybody can know about all the conversations that happen behind closed doors to get to the decision that you make. That's a really long answer yep. for saying, I don't like it when people yell at me for stuff that I couldn't control, <laughs> essentially, kind of what it comes <laughs> down to. But there are some times where you have to make a decision that is not popular. There are certain times that you have to make a decision that you might not all be all in on, to be really honest. But you know that the decision that you make is going to have an impact down the road. And so making the decision now is going to help positively down the road, but people can't see it positively down the road yet because they're not in the midst of all those conversations that happen behind closed doors. When you think about uh, just your time as a leader, but also the number of superintendents that you work with, what, you know, there's so many, there's so many people getting out of the principalships or the superintendent life or even district leadership. What's your encouragement for folks to stick with it? to be in that seat. Cause a lot of folks will sit back and be like, I love Joe. Joe gets beat up left and right for, you know, every day is the uh, best, worst decision he's ever made. How, how do you encourage folks to want to aspire to such great leadership positions? Well, I think they got, it's got to come from the right place and you got to find the right fit. You know, I was very lucky. I mean, I had, a, I was the fifth superintendent in six years and that had nothing to do with the school, the district, the board, whatever. It was just a set of circumstances that didn't work out. And so when you tell people that you're the fifth superintendent in six years, the advice that you get most of the time is good luck and rent. Like those are the only two pieces of advice people are giving you if you're the fifth superintendent in six years. But there was like, and I still believe this about Fall Creek, like th that place is a sleeping giant. I mean, there's no way that we should be talking about a school district of 835 kids in Northwest Wisconsin, but we, but people do it all over the country. And it's because of the environment yeah. that they've created. And if you can put yourself in a situation where you get a chance to celebrate the great work that's happening and acknowledge that that work is happening and extend that great work that's happening, you put yourself in a spot where you want to come back to work every day. I was fine with not being there this year because I know the direction that they're going and I know the people who are still involved and I know the board is great. I know the new superintendent is great. And I know that the staff is so strong. Like I was great until the first day when they all came back and I started seeing tweets and Instagram posts with everybody back. And I'm like, well, this is dumb. I'm just going across the street and telling them that I, I chose not to do this. I'm just going to walk across the street and say, uh, psych, I'm back. I was just joking. I'm going to keep doing this because the people just make you want to do it. And I think if you can find a right spot where the bad stuff is going to happen to you, but if you've got a lot of great things that happen too, then it, it's a spot that you want to come back to every day. I do also tell people that if you're doing the job for the 15th of the month and the 30th of the month, you're, you're going to like, it'll last three years and you'll be gone. You know, I, I, my son was asking me or one of my sons was asking me about uh, AI last night and, you know, technology is obviously rapidly changing in education. And I'm just curious, how, how do you see the role of technology evolving in K-12 education? Well, that's a loaded question. So I, I think that there's like the idea that we have to keep in mind is if we're waiting for it to go away, <laughs> like you're going to be waiting a long time and you're going to be waiting from the sideline. Like it's here, it's here to stay. So you got to figure out a way to work within it and not be like the curmudgeon 
when it comes down to technology use in the building. Everybody's using it in their own way. So we go back to what questions are we asking and do the questions promote creative thinking or they, or do they promote uh, knowledge um, and, you know, like retention of certain concepts. And if it's just regurgitation of knowledge, then we really got to think about the question that we're asking. But that does not mean that kids aren't going to go home and jump on chat GPT and write a paper. Like that's, that's going to happen. And if you're going to try to stop it, you're going to spend more time stopping it than teaching the kids that actually want to lean into it. So ask, think about the questions that you're asking. What's the goal of that question? Is it knowledge attainment? Is it creative thinking? Is it something that you can lean into the technology for? Or is it something that, that you want to have them avoid the technology for? Because you can do it all in, in a school space. We do it all in school space. I mean, there are spots in our school where there's no phones allowed. There's spots where phones are allowed all the time. There's spots where, you know, you can, you can create your own stuff. There's spots where you're going to get a bunch of information and you're going to have to regurgitate that information. Like we do, we're not all or one, you know, all of one or all of, or none of one. So I think you got to find a good balance for it. Yeah. I mean, to, to build off of, of that, when you think about, you know, students in the future, what skills and qualities do you believe are essential for educators to cultivate in themselves to be more effective in their roles? First thing is, are you willing and wanting to work with other people? Because you can go be an entrepreneur if you want. And that's the, that's the counter argument to that is like, you can be an entrepreneur. You can be like, I'm going to run my own business. I'm going to run my own. Great. Fantastic. Are you, where are you generating income from you? No, you're not. I know you're not. You're going to have to talk to somebody. So if you're going to talk to somebody like, like that's a big deal. I mean, my son has a degree in creative writing in English. So clearly he's living in my basement. But the thing about his degree that's really interesting to me is that we, he, they put an emphasis on working with other people, even though it's more of an individualized, like you writing alone, but he writes with people. He connects with people. Now he's working at a local newspaper. Like he's doing that stuff. He's got to work with people. And I think that even, even if you want to be on your own at some point, which is fine, but you're still going to have to work with people. So I think that's the biggest skill that I tell people is not only who, you know, how to work with people, but where to acquire the knowledge that you need to be successful. And that's all different from all different places. I mean, you could, learn all the content on YouTube. Great. That's fantastic. You don't have to, you don't have to be happy. I mean, you don't have to be excited that there are a billion hours spent watching YouTube videos daily, but you have to acknowledge that it's real. So how can you work within that model? Like, and I think that, I think, I don't remember if it's George Carroll that said it, maybe it was, it was George. I don't remember. I think it was probably George, but he said something to the, along the lines of you're never going to be as entertaining as YouTube. Like you can't, like you don't, you don't have the production staff for that. Okay. So don't try to just yeah. lean into those platforms and be part of it. I don't have to be the most, um, I don't have to create the biggest buzz on Instagram. Right. But if I'm there, if I'm on the platform and somebody's going over to see Gary V do a bunch of stuff and I happen to be on the scroll that they have, I give myself a better chance along the way. Yeah, uh, you and Gary V. Uh, that's hysterical. I didn't see that name coming up today. Uh, the 
last question I have for you, and I'll, I'll open it up to you at the end. Um, when I first started education 20 years ago, it, it was predominantly urban education. So 100% free and reduced lunch schools and attracting teachers and retaining teachers was always a big challenge for us. Now it seems to be the norm for every district across the country. How do you attract talent? How do you keep talent? What advice do you have for district staff or even school staff who are trying to solve that that riddle right now? Well, the first thing is the biggest recruitment tool for your school is your current teachers, your current staff members, because people are going to ask them what it's like to be in that spot, and they're going to be honest with them about that spot. The other thing is what are you doing to lean in to new hires to make sure that they're already feeling like they're part of a group that's going in the right direction. And then after that, how are you making yeah. sure that you lean into your current staff so they don't feel like they were jaded or they don't feel like they were passed over because the stuff that you're doing with new hires, you didn't do when they were there. So to do that, we try to make sure that if we have a new hire come on, we're doing something special to create a moment for that new hire to offer the job but it's not just for the new hire. It's for the committee that wants them to be on the team. So we let our committees offer jobs to people. We try to create a moment from something that they said in the interview that is going to be helpful for us to land that person. And now not only does the new hire feel like they're, it's awesome that they're coming alongside this team, but now the team feels great because they had a role in bringing on this new fantastic individual that's going to add to our culture. That's awesome. Well, you and I have talked, I think, collectively now for an hour or more. Uh, this will be, again, two different podcasts. Is there a question that I didn't ask that you've been asked a lot that you'd like to answer? Or is there a particular topic that you've had to speak on quite a bit lately that you want that message? You want to extend that message or that story a little further? Man, I don't know. I mean, you get an hour of me. That's about it. All anybody needs. I think that's. Uh, I think that's about it. Like I'm a lot. I'm a lot to handle. And you know, now that I, now people look at me like, hey, you don't look like you can be retired. Like, are you really retired? Are you sure? I'm like, you don't know me. Like, you don't know. You don't know that I make noises <laughs> when I wake up in the morning. Retired noise. You don't know that I found three hairs on my ear this morning, like the ones you could braid. You don't know that I told three kids to get off my lawn this morning and meant it. Like I'm, I'm ready for that retirement lifestyle. I'm telling you right now, but an hour of me is about enough, Dustin. I'm telling you, I like, I'm an acquired taste. So I hope people got what they needed to out of the situation. And if I can help them out, please uh, make sure that they have my, my stuff and, and uh, we'll go from there. We will. Joe, this has been awesome. Thanks for entertaining me. If nothing else, entertaining me for the last hour or so. <laughs> Thank you for putting yourself out there. I appreciate it. And I uh, wish you the best moving forward. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dustin. I appreciate it. Good luck to you. Go, 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 go Brewers. <laughs>